Good morning, Brandywine Grace. I'm here, obviously, at the building, at the church. And I came here to record this sermon because I wanted to be here. I wanted to be here in the emptiness of this space. And there's something about being here, not being on my sofa, preaching in my slippers, that, that, uh, that reminds me of you and, and reminds me of how much we all miss being together. There's a lot of people talking about why do churches want to be, why do churches want to be back in the building? We don't want to be back in the building just to be in the building. Here I am in the building. We want to be with the people. That's what we, that's what we miss. Miss you guys. Grace and peace to you guys. And we're going to dig into to God's word right now. So you can open up your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. And we're going to be looking at one of the attributes of God. And we're going to read uh, a couple of verses from Isaiah chapter 40 here in just a few minutes. Mark Twain had a, uh, a clever way of saying things and he's he's a very quotable person but he he said something that has stuck with me for years he says that when i was a boy he's quoted when i was a boy of 14 i thought my dad was the most ignorant person on the face of the earth and and it was all i could do to be around him but then he goes on to say but when I turned 21, when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. <laughs> he's, I'll give you a minute to just think about what he's saying there. He's not saying that his old man had changed in seven years. What he's saying is when he was 14, he thought, like most teenage boys, that he knew everything. He didn't want a dad. He felt constricted by his dad. He felt, he felt confined by the things that his dad said. And he wanted to be free of that. And he thought he knew better. But in those seven years, what maturity brought and what life taught him was that his dad actually knew more than he had given him credit for. He had become wiser in recognizing that there was a lot more to his father than he thought. Family. Brandywine Grace, brothers and sisters, we are like teenagers in the school of God's grace. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is there is so, God is so grand, He is so majestic, He is so transcendent that we scarcely comprehend all that He is. And so last week when I was telling us that when we can't see his hand, when we're, when we're walking through this crisis and, and there's things about it that we don't understand and things about God that we don't understand, when we can't trace his activity, when we can't follow his thoughts and his inclinations, we must trust his heart. To trust his heart, though, means we need to understand who he is. The depths of our understanding of the character of our father, we're like teenagers when it comes to understanding the riches of his wisdom. When it comes to understanding God and all that he is, we've only scratched the surface. We, we could never, the scripture tells us that his understanding is unsearchable. His understanding, we're going to read that in a second, is unsearchable. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't try. That doesn't mean we shouldn't make every effort to understand who God is. What the scripture means 
is that he is so awesome, he is so glorious, that even as we make efforts to understand him, which we should, we find treasure for our souls along the way, but we'll never, ever, ever get to the bottom of God or to the top of God. When we can't trace his hand, we must trust his heart. When life takes its twists and its turns, and it does, church, doesn't it? We must find confidence in God's character. We need to trust who he is. Who is he? Where can we find out more about who he is? Church, you know, family, we go to the word. So let's go to Isaiah chapter 40. I want to look at verses 15 through 18, and then I want to look at verses 25 through 29. So let's look to the word of God together. Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah the prophet prophesying to the, to the nation of Israel. This is what the word of the Lord says. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing, an emptiness. Verse 25. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them by name, by the greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known, have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Lord, would you encourage our hearts from your word. Would you open up the eyes of our heart? We want to see you, Lord, so that we might worship you and trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. This is one of my favorite passages of scripture because of its great description of God and his character. I, I love Isaiah 40 because it just portrays the greatness of God. And, and it's so vivid in its descriptions. Look at verse 15. It says, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. The nations are regarded. The nations, 
the nations are regarded as dust on scales. Now, scales have become an interesting instrument in most of our families during this COVID crisis. During the COVID crisis, many people are, are concerned about the amount of weight that we're gaining. We're just, we're all laying at home, getting all fat and sassy and, and getting onto the scale to see what the damages are. That's happening in our family. Jumping onto the scale see what's going on trying to to well, i don't know what it is what is it about covid that we eat more we're just we're eating more i'm trying to exercise i'm trying to be diligent with that but we're getting on the scales now wouldn't it be odd wouldn't it be odd if when amy my wife went to get on the scale she stepped on the scale and then she said kenny wait a second did you wipe the scale off? Did you, did you wipe the scale? Because I don't want to, to have any other dust accounted for. I want to get an accurate measure of who I am as I stand on the scale. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be crazy if we, if we thought of the dust in that way? Church, the scripture says that the nations, the, the nations throughout all of history, how does God regard the nations? He regards them as what you wipe off the scale before you even get on it. This is how he regards the nations. It's a, it's a display of his, great, of his greatness and his power. And it's very vivid, it's very vivid. When we, what we think of as great compared to what, to, to what we think of as, as God. God considers the, the nations, it says, as nothing. Actually, he even clarifies they are accounted by him as less than nothing. Emptiness. And then you go to verse 25. Isaiah prophesies to whom then will you compare me, speaking for the Lord, that I should be like him? The Lord asks the question, who will you compare me to, that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and see. And what is he speaking about that we would see when we lift up our eyes? He's speaking about the stars. He says, he who brings out their host, the heavenly host, the starry host. Do you know how many stars are in our galaxy, the Milky Way? Take a guess. What number comes to mind? Well, I looked it up. There is anywhere, and there's a large range, there is anywhere from 100 billion stars upwards of 400 billion stars. You say, how can there be that, that vast of a range? It's because some of the stars are, and the gases that they're made up of are too difficult for us to detect because they're too far away. We can't measure it. So, so there is, in, in our galaxy, 100 to 400 billion stars. And the scripture says that he brings them out by number and that he calls those stars by name, by the greatness of his might, church, because he's strong in power. Not one of those 100 to 400 billion stars goes missing on God's watch.
feel his greatness. He goes on to say in verse 28 that God does not faint. He doesn't grow weary. He never, ever, ever experiences fatigue. He never gets tired. He never, the other places in Scripture tell us that he never sleeps. He never sleeps because he never gets tired. He doesn't need rest the way that creatures do. The Scripture tells us that his understanding, as we've already mentioned, is unsearchable. That his greatness cannot be fathomed. And no one can fathom it. So when we speak of God's power, we're not saying that God is merely powerful. We're not saying that, that he has access to this great power. What we are saying is that God in his very being, in his very nature, is all powerful. Theological word for that description is omnipotent. Omni, Latin for all, potent, Latin for powerful. He is omnipotent, all-powerful. At the core of who he is, he is power. This is what he is in all of his attributes. In all of his attributes, they are, he is these things in, in, in an infinite way. He is infinitely powerful. He is infinitely sovereign. He is infinitely full of grace and gracious. He is infinitely loving. He is these things because they are, they are who he is. God is omnipotent because he is all-powerful in his very being. Now, his power may work through others. He may demonstrate his power working through others. He may choose, as the scripture says, to give his power to the faint. He gives power to the faint. But his power is intrinsic to himself. In other words, he depends on no one. He depends on no thing. He is absolutely self-sufficient in his power. He needs nothing from anyone. He is that very powerful. When we say that God is omnipotent, we're saying that there are no limitations in his being at all. There is no limitations to his capacity. Now here's the problem that, that we have when we start to think about grand thoughts of God. When we start to dive deep, and we, when we walk to the edge of the cliff of the Grand Canyon and we look over and we experience its sheer massiveness and its immensity, where our minds can hardly comprehend it. That's what happens when we think about God. But what we do is, because we can't conceive of Him, we bring Him down to our sides. And it is right to think that we are made in God's image. The scripture tells us that we are. But God is not made in our image. And so we can tend to think of that as we try to think of, of who we are and then we think of God as a, a bigger and better version of us. I like to call it the supersize me effect. It's like when you go into to McDonald's and you order the number one and they ask you, do you want to supersize it? You think of God as a supersized version of yourself. Like he's just like us, 
but he's bigger, better, not better, bigger, better, more holy, more glorious, but he's, he's like us. That's how we contemplate him. And the scripture speaks of God's otherness. He is holy. He is set apart. He is, he is not like us. He is completely infinite in every attribute. Luther once said in a, in a theological debate with another theologian named Erasmus, he said, your thoughts of God are too human. Your thoughts, Erasmus, of God are too human. For anyone grace, I, I, I would dare say that we could say the same things of our, about ourselves. That all of our thoughts of God are way too human. Way too domesticated. We've, we don't think of Him in the way that He really is. And how could we? It says His greatness no one could fathom. Our thoughts of God are too human. And that's why it's, it's difficult for us to trust his heart. It's easier for us to trust his heart when we can't trace his hand. It's easier to trust the heart of one who is like our God. And so what do we need to do? We need to meditate on his character. We need to meditate on his attributes. We need to meditate on his greatness. We need to meditate on his power, on his love, on his mercy. Because when we can't see his hand, we can trust his heart when we remember who he is. Shai Lin, in describing, Shai Lin's a, a, a Christian hip-hop artist, in describing God, he, he used some phrasing, some poetry that has stuck with me. He said about God, he's, he's fabulous. His status is immaculate. I'm lacking the vernacular to adequately describe his glory. He's saying, I can't, I've run out of words. I'm lacking the vocabulary to describe who he is. If, if given enough time, I could never find enough words to adequately describe his transcendent beauty and glory. Church, this is your God. This is who he is. He's beyond description. He's indescribable. He's, he's incomparable. He is omni omnipotent in every way. He is exercising his power right now on our behalf. Even if we don't see it, he is these things. Anselm said in describing God, he said, I'm going to paraphrase him, but he, he says it this way. You cannot conceive of anyone greater than God. You, you, it would be, you are unable as a creature, to conceive of anything greater than God, because there is no one, no thing greater than God. God can never stop being omnipotent because he always has been and he always will be. And I want to I want to I want to spend the rest of our time just thinking through what this means for his care for us, that we have an omnipotent God should bring great courage and, and comfort to our souls, even when we experience trial, even when we experience 
difficulty, even when we feel like we're questioning or we're worrying or, or we're struggling in some way. This is, is so helpful to us. Now, we're talking about not being able to trace God's hand, trusting God's heart. And today we're looking at a combination of his attributes, his greatness, his power, his bigness, and how that relates to his care for us. But I want to talk about, for a minute, a temptation that all of us face when we are considering God's omnipotence. And the temptation is to walk away thinking, yes, God is big, but is his bigness so big that he can't possibly care about me? Have you ever had that thought? Like, okay, agreed. Agreed, Kenny. God is powerful. God is big. His, his, his bigness no one could fathom. So if he's that big, if the nations are truly like dust on the scales, if the nations are dust, then what am I? How could he keep track of me? That's the problem the people were actually facing here in verse 27. And so God says to them, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? So what are they going to say? What are they going to speak? My way is hidden from the Lord. My right is disregarded by my God. In other words, this is a group of people that think that God has forgotten them or has lost sight of them or lost track of them and can't possibly keep track of everyone. It's a temptation to think God is so big that he can't possibly care about me. Is God too big to care? Is God too big to care? about you, about your family, your situation. This question is what prompted Francis Schaeffer to say when he considered God's bigness, is he didn't want people to think that he's so big that, the, that, that God can't care about us. So he said, there are no little people. There are no little people. It's because God is all-powerful. It's because He is all-knowing. It's because He is all-wise that He can care so much about you. Why? It's this. To think that He is too big to care is to impose a limit upon God who has no limits. So if we think that God is too big to care, we impose a limitation upon Him and He is a God without limitation. If God is truly infinite, if he's truly limitless, truly limitless in his power, truly limitless in his wisdom, truly limitless in his knowledge, truly limitless in his love, truly limitless in all ways, then restricting him to an aloof existence simply will not work. But if you struggle to believe in God's omnipotent care for you, his care for you, you're not alone. Scripture displays character after character after character who struggled to have confidence in God, to live with confidence in Him through all of the peaks and valleys of their lives. Scripture is full. I just want to look at a couple. I want to look at a couple. Abraham and Sarah 
Abraham and Sarah. We're told that they were, that Abraham was noted for his faith. The scriptures tell us that he was a, a man of great faith, of remarkable faith. But his faith was not perfect. And we could look at example after example of how his faith faltered, putting his wife in danger in numerous situations to protect his own reputation, to protect his own hide. He put his wife in scary predicaments when he should have been more confident in God. So his faith is flawed. His faith, you might say, has a limp to it. He walks with a limp when it comes to his faith in God. But in the story, we know that God had made a promise to them and that they were going to have a child and that that child was going to be an heir and, and, and the, the, the son of a, of a great nation that would bloom from him. And so they've received this promise and Abraham has tried to, to live with confidence in this prom promise, but he's waiting a long time. He's waiting a long time and they've gotten to a place where they're beyond childbearing years. And he just thinks, what is this? How are we supposed to trust God through this? How are we supposed to believe him for this? And Sarah was experiencing the same kind of doubts. Pregnancy is impossible. It's physically impossible at this point. Can you hear Sarah's doubts? Can you hear Sarah's tears? There's a difficult circumstance for you. You're clinging to this promise, but it's a promise that appears that it's physically impossible that God can make it come to pass. Can you hear her doubts? Can you hear her fears? Can you hear her tears? Can you hear the questions that are here deep, deep, deep inside of her when she thinks about who God is? And in Genesis 18, we have this God appears out of nowhere as, as three men who come to speak to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre. And so Sarah runs to quick make preparations for a meal. That's what you did. You, you, you never left your guests without something to eat. They were very hospitable people. And so she ran to make a meal. While she's making the meal, though, she hears these three men talking to Abraham. And one of them says, by this time next year, you're going to have that son. This time, next year, you'll have that son. And Sarah, we don't know how loud, Sarah laughed. He's in there cooking. <laughs> right. Right. Are you kidding me? I have clung to God for this promise. And now I'm way past childbearing years. But this is my lot in life. She laughed. Evidently loud enough to be heard. Because one, one of the men called her on. But at that time, when a year had gone by, Sarah had given birth to the son of the promise, Isaac, from which, whose seed from which a nation will bloom. She struggled to believe in God's omnipotent care and God's ability to make something happen that he had promised to make happen. Then hundreds of years later, we have the story of Hannah. Hannah is, and it's interesting, there's a lot of barren women in scripture. Here's Hannah, she's another barren woman. And to be barren in this society, one, to be a woman in this society was to be, be demeaned. It was to have a lower position. Men were regarded as, as the, the, the powerful members of society and women were disregarded. 
So, so if you think COVID is imposing a trial upon you, consider these women. These were, not only were they women, which was a, a, a difficult role to embrace in this ancient Near East society, but she was a barren woman. She was a barren woman. This is to be an outcast. This is, the people frowned at you. People thought you were left out by God, that you were cursed by God. It was to lack value and lack worth. And so this is a hard trial for Hannah. And, and the trial for Hannah made it hard for her to trace God's hand. It's painful. So painful for her that at one point she goes to the temple to, to worship God and she is pouring out her heart to God. Now, she's not as doubting as Sarah. She actually believes that God can make something happen. She actually believes that, that the Lord can do something about her condition and her situation. So she's pouring out her heart before the Lord. And we're told that the priest, Eli, is sitting there, overhears her and thinks, I can't believe it. This woman has come, gotten herself all liquored up. She's drunk. And now she's crying out to God in her drunkenness. And so he actually rebukes Hannah. Hannah says, I'm not drunk. I'm distressed. I'm not drunk. I'm distressed. I'm not drunk. I'm troubled. I'm not drunk, I'm a barren woman who's asking God to do something for her, to act on my behalf. She believes in the power of God, so much so that she believes, she leaves there believing that God has heard her prayer. And she's right, God has heard her prayer and he does the seemingly impossible and he gives Hannah a son. His name is Samuel. He goes on to be the priest and prophet for the nation of Israel. He's the one that anoints King David. God shows his care by exercising his omnipotent hand and his plan for her, his plan for Sarah. He's not just answering Sarah's prayer, right? It's, it's, it's a plan that he has that's unfolding for a people. It's a plan that's unfolding to redeem his people. He's going to use Samuel as part of his redemptive purposes. This is what he's doing. What are we to learn from this? The wisdom of God, the omnipotent care of God, the, om the omnipotence of God is displayed in human weakness. God displays His power in your life, in my life, in weakness. When we can't trace God's hand, we are positioned, church, to look to Him, to trust His heart, and to see His power made perfect in our weakness, to see His power displayed through our weakness. Do you want some of that? I want some of that. It says that Spurgeon got to a place in his life where, where the waves of circumstances would dash him against the rocks. That was when he started to look for the hand of God's mercy. It's when he started to look for a demonstration of God's power. Could we be like that, church? Could we be more like that? When we can't trace his hand, we start looking to him. And when we look to him, we see him for who he is. And we're able to trust him that he's doing something here. Hannah prayed this. You can read this prayer in 1 Samuel 2. She says, there is none holy like the Lord. For there is none besides you. 
There is no rock like our God, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and he raises up. The Lord makes poor and he makes rich. He brings low and he exalts for the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. Often God's omnipotent power shines brightest in your darkest hour. Omnipotent power often shines brightly in dark hours. Another woman, many centuries later, we see the same omnipotent care displayed in her life. A young girl named Mary. She too is going to have a son in the family tree of Sarah's son, Isaac. But this situation is very unique because the son she's going to bear is unique. Unlike any other son before, he is conceived of the Holy Spirit. And when the angel tells young Mary, teenage Mary, teenager, the news, she can't hardly believe it. She's trusting in God, but she's trying to figure out how this happens. She asks the angel, how's that going to happen? I'm a virgin. And the angel responds this, nothing will be impossible for God. Nothing will be impossible for God. I wonder what Sarah and, and Hannah are doing in heaven when they see the angel sharing with Mary that nothing will be impossible for God and then watching Mary trust the angel's words because she's trusting God's words. I just get the sense that they were like, that's our girl right there. That's our girl. She's trusting God. Sarah's saying in ways that I didn't trust God, she's trusting God. Hannah's saying, I sought to trust the Lord, but it's hard to believe that nothing is impossible for God. Church, do you believe that? Can you dare think of a God in which we could say nothing is impossible for him? There's nothing that you're going through, church, that is outside of the control, the sovereign control of God. And he's loving, infinitely loving, infinitely merciful. He's working things out for our good. He's using this situation. He's directing it. He's, he's, he's bringing us to these, through these circumstances that we might trust his heart. We might not be able to trust his hand, trace his hand, but we can trust his heart, because nothing will be impossible for God. No room in the end. The king is born in a manger. The power of God displayed. A virgin gives birth. The impossible conception is the advent of the eternal son of God. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. King of kings. Lord of lords. Omnipotence swaddled in ragged cloths, laid in the feeding trough, in the dirty old feeding trough of the cows and the goats. No palace, no throne, seemingly no power. 
omnipotence asleep in the straw. God's power displayed in a moment of weakness. Why? Why? Because God cares. The incarnation is an expression of God's omnipotent care. He cares so much that He sends His only Son to be born poor, to be born a man, a poor man, to suffer on this earth and to die so that sinners like you and me could be forgiven and reconciled to God. The, the salvation that a Messiah brings is the work of a God who is omnipotent in His care. You see it, church? Only an, om only an omnipotent God can do that. And He's done it for you and for me. When I was in college to make some money in the summers and, and even during the year, I would work doing landscaping. And I sometimes worked for tree surgeons. I would, I would get a job working for guys that would do tree work. And I was just part of the ground crew, you know. But working in a ground crew, that's actually kind of a dangerous position, working tree work. There's guys that climb up in the trees, they either use a bucket truck or they climb up into the tree, roped in, and they start cutting the tree down. And I remember my first couple days on the job, I was always doing the groundwork. I was the one that had to go pick up the logs that had been cut down, pick up the brush and take it to the, to the chipper. And my first couple days on the job, I was, I was startled by something that was happening because the guy, this guy's name was Carl, he would climb up into the tree, this big dude, he'd climb up into the tree and then he would start cutting the tree down. And when he got a branch or even a big log, he'd cut through it and a big log would be there, then he would yell, headache, headache. And then he'd throw the log. And nobody told me what they were talking about. Nobody told me. But it didn't take me long to figure out. I'd hear, I'd be working, and there's the chippers running, and the chainsaws are running. But every once in a while, the chainsaw would slow down, and I'd hear somebody yell, Headache! And then I noticed people wouldn't look up. Because what was being thrown down on them was a headache in the making. When that log cracks you on the head, you're going to have a headache times in 100. And so what you learn to do almost subconsciously when you're doing tree work is when you hear headache, you look up. Let me get a sense of where I am. Let me get a sense of my bearings. Let me look up and get, get perspective on this so that this situation doesn't turn into a bad headache. God drops difficult circumstances into our lives. He's sovereignly ordaining them. It's almost like he says, headache, headache. And then what does he want you to do? He wants you to do what we did on the ground crew. He wants you to look up to him. You might not be able to trace his hand. You might not be able to see where the, the headaches are coming from. But you can trust his heart. So we look up in the moment of trial. COVID-19 is a headache. Headache coming. Headache. 
We look to you, Lord. Because when we can't trace your hand, we will trust your powerful, omnipotent heart. Amen. Church, let's do that. Let's be a people that are trusting in our omnipotent, the omnipotent care of our Father. Nothing is impossible for Him. Amen.